Hey, this is Kate Willett. I'm here to make a special announcement, which is that on October 30th in San Francisco at the Rickshaw Stop, I and a bunch of other really funny comedians will be doing a fundraiser for John Hamasaki, who is the Reform DA candidate in San Francisco. As you know, a bunch of right-wingers were successful in recalling Chesa Boudin, and we want to get the incumbent out of office and hopefully get someone in office who is going to continue with Chess's policies, prosecuting bad cops, uh, treating unhoused people like human beings. Um, we really want to get this war on drugs person out and Hamasaki's campaign really could use some help. So if you're around in San Francisco, please come to the fundraiser on October 30th. You can get tickets at bit.ly dash comedy hamasaki and that's h-a-m-a-s-a-k-i hope to see you there thank you so much dave you want to uh you want to kick us off then you're listening to the west wing thing with no, josh no no yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> that's that's done uh, you're listening to the audit with josh and dave and of course uh our study buddy. Hey, Hello. Kate Willett. Willett. You see those fools at the back of the class. They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass. They ain't here to learn. They're just here for laughs. The day This podcast is brought to you by The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet. You can go to levernews.com to find all of their reporting. You can also subscribe to Lever News weekly news podcast, Lever Time, which is available on all major podcast players. If you'd like to support this show, head over to levernews.com slash audit to become a paid supporter. Basically, The Lever built its own version of Patreon, and they even cut out the middleman. And this is how it works. When you become a paid supporter, part of that money goes to the creative team at the audit and part of that money goes to the lever. So not only are you supporting this show, but you'll be directly supporting the levers independent journalism. As an added bonus, every audit supporter will also get access to the levers premium content, including their exclusive newsletters, private podcast feed, ebooks and live events. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can also find the audit's tip jar at levernews.com slash audit and leave us a tip. By the way, for anyone listening to this who does not know, Dave and I used to have a podcast called The West Wing Thing, in which we dissected every single solitary episode of that fantastic TV show to discuss its amazing politics. Yes. And, and, uh, <laughs> and you made me watch one of them, <laughs> one of those episodes, and I'm greatest, still... <laughs> greatest show ever. 
I have not forgiven you for making me learn about oh, the time that uh, rep- the Democrats did bipartisanship by appointing a Republican <laughs> to the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, did you do that one? That was a great one. That was a great one. Um, and they privatized Social Security, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, you should check it out. But um, yeah, we don't do that here uh, anymore. We talk about bad things, not the best TV show ever. Um, but before we get into our master class, I just, I had a bit of a, uh, I almost feel like we should play the Bill Maher music here. We were talking about him earlier. Dun, 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 dun. Do they still use that or has that changed? I haven't seen him. I think it's the same music. I think it's the same. Yeah. He's been doing, I think, basically the same show since the. The entire, I, I was watching in high school all the time. Oh my God. So old. But I feel like, yeah, he has to keep the same music because his audience, like, I mean, they're all like 70 and 80. They would freak out if he changed it, right? I don't yeah, think they be. are 70 and 80 anymore. I believe he has um, pulled in a lot of younger right wingers now. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, I say these things and then we come to regret them because people are like, well, now you have to do it. But, you know, maybe we should do like a, a thing where we audit a few Bill Maher episodes someday. Mm. I wonder if there's a way to do that without Ooh. watching them. <laughs> that is just painful. Yeah, I know. And the other thing is Sirota will hear this. He'll go, yeah, you guys have to do that. And, uh, but no, I just want to talk about there's a thing that's been driving me crazy. And it just sort of it, 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 this past week. uh to be you know a year ago to people listening um there was an incident over with uh what's that show the rising the hills uh what is it like sort of tv show it's like a morning news it's a morning yeah news they do show. like a morning news show and and um uh i think where our friend katie helper got fired for uh as far as i can tell saying things that um about Israel that had been said by former prime ministers and politicians and some of Israel's leading human rights organizations um and uh, for a, uh, a group, uh, for a media organization that purports to be into free speech and kind of the uh, lefternmost, uh, I don't want to say fringes, but, you know, areas of American politics, uh, saying, saying that Israel is engaged in apartheid is not a particularly radical thing to say in 2022. But she got fired for saying it. And, and that's not even the thing I want to talk about. What gets me, and it's been bugging me more and more, and Dave, this is something you've said, and you're right, is the format of these shows in which they're supposed to be new media. It's supposed to be like the hope of the future as cable news dies, as only old people watch CNN and MSNBC and Fox News, and people are increasingly getting their news from things like Twitter and TikTok and YouTube. And is Quibi still a thing? I don't even know if that was a thing. But. I don't think it's a thing anymore. I'm pretty sure it was a thing only for like two to three days. But I mean, I don't know. And it wasn't even news. But you know, by the time this episode drops, there'll be some other thing that that the kids are getting their news from. And um, uh, you know, I remember as a kid back in the day, it drove me crazy. It 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 was um, anytime you know CNN wanted to do a story on say the climate. They'd have a scientist come on and the scientist would go, hey, we're doing shit to the climate that is really fucking bad. And if we don't change, uh, we're all going to die. And then they would go, and now here with an opposing viewpoint, and they would put some Looney Tune who represented about, you know, one sixteenth of one percent of the scientific community uh, would come on and go, well, that's not actually true. And the argument was that uh, debate is healthy. That if you uh, put both sides up and let them battle it out, uh, truth will out. Uh, 
But the problem is, of course, first of all, it's not entirely true. Debate doesn't actually lead to that in general. That's why presidential debates are just purely entertainment. And also when you take points of view that represent tiny fringe minorities and place them up against, you know, scientific consensus, you're giving them equal weight. So even if you're looking at that idiot who's going climate change is caused by trees, a view, by the way, uh, shared by a former president of ours. That was was Ronald Reagan said that. Yes, Ronald said said that. He did say that. And uh, uh, you're saying here are two equal and opposite views, and they are not equal and opposite views. They are opposite views, but they are not by any means equal. And what happens, as one could predict at the time, and what did happen, is slowly over time, people's belief in climate change eroded. Um, And um, you've seen the same thing play out with COVID. And you, yeah, you saw exactly, exactly. You saw the same thing, but we see it played out with many, many things. And it's a bad idea, you know? And I know yes. time has not been kind to Jon Stewart, and um, uh, you sort of wish he would stay frozen in time rather than continuing to move forward in it. But, you know, he did an amazing thing back in the day. Remember, he went on Crossfire, which was this moronic show in which, uh, who was it, Tucker Carlson? Who was the other guy? At that time, at that time, it was Tucker Carlson. I don't know who the... It was like it was, wasn't David point. Axelrod. It was like some other. It was some some. It started. Thing. It started out with um, you know, uh, neo Nazi James Buchanan and another Pat, Pat Buchanan back. Pat Buchanan. Pat sorry, Buchanan. back in the day. Um, yeah, James Buchanan was dead. Um, yeah, I but, think he'd been dead for a while. <laughs> yeah, he Dave had, does he a historical podcast, folks. He's a... Um. Uh, yeah. So they had had a, a few different hosts over the years. And he demolished them, and we all thought that was the end of that because it was really yeah, dumb. it was absolutely it was um, it was incredible. I'm trying to find this is terrible. We're so completely not prepared. I don't know who the other host but is I Democrat. but I do think uh, I think that they would argue that they have a different spectrum. Uh, whereas Crossfire was the Democratic and Republican view. I think they're if you were to take the the Hill one, they would say, well, we're doing a leftist and a a. Uh, well, the the white guy I see on there now is a, a libertarian, right? Libertarian. Um, yeah, so completely. He's just idiot. like, uh, just like a, a Ron Paul, just the dumbest people who have never experienced life in any form are allowed to sit in a chair and say how hard things are for them, and and they literally would scream if they were ever in Geary, Indiana, and their brains would come out of their head. Like they're just, they're they're just dumb people, and they shouldn't be given this. Okay, forum, but they I are. have to be devil's advocate just for a second. Things are very yes. hard for libertarian white guys. The age of consent is 18 years old. I mean. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, I have no problem with those people having their own shows. It's it's the fact that this sort of like, you know, new youth-friendly, allegedly sort of left-leaning media is doing the exact same fucking thing. I mean, Democrat, Republican, right, left, wherever you want to call it. It's it's disastrous and it, it feeds this false narrative and it also buys into see if I can thread this needle. Um we may have even talked about this. It's it's one thing in your day-to-day life to have friends whose politics are wildly different from yours. And obviously there are lines. I have no friends who are Nazis, say. Um I do know one Trump supporter, you know, and and he's a really good person. And he is, I would call him for help in a in an emergency more than a lot of my leftist friends for a lot of reasons. Not that they're bad. Um, he's got more money than they do, first of all. But, <laughs> but um, he's he's a private citizen, and he lives in California. He can have my vote, 
Like I'll happily like give him my vote in every presidential election. It makes no fucking difference. You know, go ahead, vote, vote for Trump in 2024 in California. See if that matters. And, and he's got great qualities, but if he had a political podcast or TV show that had a massive audience, I wouldn't go on it. I wouldn't have him on my show. I wouldn't, I wouldn't platform him that way. It's a very different thing. People don't understand the difference between a private friendship and, and uh, a, a TV show or, or, or a podcast or a new show. It's like you're making different statements. And I think it's vital that people like he and I can learn to live together and find ways to kind of get through the world and find our commonalities and bash out the differences and, and, and so forth. I think it's also vital that we squash like a bug uh, the people who stand in front of cameras and microphones and espouse the political philosophy that he's bought into. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And I think it's really dangerous that these shows like they, and 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 uh, what is it? Breaking points. Crystal Crystal Ball show. It, it, uh, well, that that's the that's the most so egregious and terrible yeah. version of it all is because okay, so the Hill one, what's it called? Morning Rising. Rising. Rising yeah. Like okay, so that one is put together by a corporation and they're trying to make money and start a thing. Okay, you want a job? Okay, I can I can okay. When you go off on your own. Yeah, you are now entirely independent, and you bring your dumb right wing—and I mean fucking dumb right wing yeah. asshole—with you. You are doing a service to nobody but your fucking bank account. Yeah, and then you end up espousing anti-science ideas about COVID, which is extremely having extreme, extreme negative effect now on children. Yeah of which you espoused repeatedly to open schools with no safety precautions in place, that is because you sit next to a right-wing fuckhead every fucking day and listen to his garbage and think it's, well, maybe they have a point. Yeah. They don't have a fucking no, he's, point. No, his argument against all that is, hey, I had COVID and it was really mild. So he's a fucking idiot. Which, yeah. As we said. Yes. <laughs> I love when people just yeah. use themselves as like the one anecdotal example, right. you yeah. know? Hey, no, I got shot at once and the guy missed. So yeah. what's, the big, people, what's the big deal? What's the big deal with guns? You people with your fucking most guns. Most people got polio and were fine. Most people get monkeypox and are fine. It's the ones who don't. That's yeah. the fucking problem. I think that it's like that with that show, Crystal Ball and Sagar, I can't tell like I don't know Crystal or anything. I, I mean, to me. I'm not sure if it's a money-making venture exclusively or if they're just really high on their own supply because they they both yeah. do seem to believe that there is, you know, something with this like right and left-wing populism coming yeah. together to like Oh, they're uh, but, oh, they're those. Yeah, oh, I didn't know they exactly. were those people. Yeah, well, no, they're, they're, their angle their angle is and they're right is the cable news is driving people crazy and whipping people up into a frenzy of seething hatred against each other, which, you know, say what you will about it, Matt Taibbi's book Hate Incorporated is essential reading. But the solution to that is not to do a show where you have right and left holding hands. The solution is to do a show where you report news honestly and do not engage in that stuff. You know, that's the solution. Um, it's right. not, well, yeah. it, it's, it's like ideology doesn't exist or, or I, are, do we li now live in this world where, where fascists and socialists are not completely, uh, enemies yeah. with completely different, separate opposite ideologies. Like we don't, we don't, you can't work with them. They want to kill people. 
Right. That's their whole fucking objective is to have less of thems. That's what yeah. they want. You don't so you don't do shows with them. Yeah. Uh, it's very it's very dangerous. It's very it's actually pathetic that this is what the internet has wrought. These are the successful things now. This bullshit. And I remember, I remember talking early, you know, to uh, who's the Amber Frost from from Chapo Tra Trap House, and very early on, they had done one or two shows where they had some right wing goober on to debate him, and you know, they're pretty funny shows because, of course, they demolish this clown. I think they were talking abortion, and there's just a great moment where just like you could just hear him press the exact wrong button in Amber, and it's like you will hear a woman kill a man on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, yeah, they realized that was a mistake. We don't want to do that. It's not, we don't want to platform these idiots. There's absolutely no fucking point in it because our audience isn't sitting there. They're not going to, their politics aren't going to be improved by listening to them slaughter this guy. And this guy's right. audience is going to be increased by being on their show. Right. And, and what's the point? If like two of your listeners like are exposed to a guy and they go, oh, you know, he's got a point. What have you done? So they stopped. I mean, I, I might be crazy, but it doesn't seem like the 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 right is turning in to watch crystal balls show it's only leftists right. who are tuning in and then they have to listen to some fucking dickhead say a bunch of nonsense yeah so it's totally pointless and you're right you are just exposing people who can then peel off and go away there's enough it turns out in america there's actually enough right-wing media that you don't have to ever have another right-wing person on anywhere yeah. at any yeah. time saying anything no, I that's think a, that, it's a good point. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, I think that this this project, uh, the, the Crystal Ball saga thing, I mean, there has been a huge push in the past few years to rebrand uh, right wing as something that's actually like for the working class. Peter Thiel has right. been behind mm -hmm. a lot of it. Peter Thiel, I don't think, has any yeah. involvement with the, uh, with the Crystal Ball saga show, but... You know, right. I mean, like, these people are even using, like, Marxist language sometimes, or even talking about yes. the, like, the Barbara Ehrenreich PMC and representing themselves as very pro-worker. I mean, I guess there was kind of a, a nascent version of this with Trump's 2016 campaign, but they, sure. you know, I, I, I think that, uh, yeah, there is, there is definitely this very concerted effort to... Uh, make you know conservatism seem like you know the this is the real working class even though they don't do anything to support unions or have any policies that benefit workers whatsoever right and they're able to do that of course because yeah. democrats have just abandoned the working class so it's yeah like for sure and and that's a big point yeah. that jimmy Dore keeps making is that it's it's not it's not the right and the left fighting each other it's the right and left fighting against the corporations which is a great uh, point if you've never read a fucking history book uh it's absolutely yes, exactly. garbled nonsense it's just total fucking bullshit and it's quite simply stupid beyond words uh there is no combining <laughs> of uh, the right and the left we are fucking enemies for a goddamn reason we have different ideologies and ways of looking at the world and the only reason they want to work with you is because when they're done with their enemy they will slit your fucking throat yeah yeah, I don't That's see why any right-wing shows out there. I don't see Ben Shapiro launching a new podcast where it's him and, you know, Dave, he would, Dave Anthony talking. Politics. I mean, he would, he would be <laughs> demolished by any leftist going on there 
and just poking holes in his biovading nonsense. It's just a stream of garbage. And when you poke into it, it deflates because it's so goddamn stupid and just rhetoric. It's not a thing that can happen. But here we are inviting them on our shows, apparently, to talk and say stuff. But you don't see it. Ben Shapiro's never having that person on. He's just not. Oh, to be fair, we are now into our third episode in which we are basically platforming one of the worst right-wing pieces of shit who ever lived. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, we're taking him apart. It's a little yeah. bit different. You can't and actually can't platform. fight back. That's the important thing. And, is you can't actually. And sometimes Ben Shapiro does say things that are true. Like, remember when he announced that his wife's pussy does not get wet? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, a, a broken I, clock. I believe yeah. that. I believe that very much, yeah. yes. <laughs> can you imagine sorry i don't want to go about me that's such old news but still it just boggled my mind can you imagine the degree of obliviousness to just go out in the world and say that yeah there's just, there's is there any segment of the world i guess there is because who's listening to that and going oh hey found my found my warrior yeah <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. hey there it's david sirota host of lever time the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet the lever In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Lever Time is an unflinching examination of the latest news, events, and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. Uh, well, uh, shall, we, shall we get into it, kids? Shall we get into... Uh, Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, uh... I think I think some part six of the George W. Bush masterclass on leadership is titled "Accountability Leads to Results," and I mean, I'm just going to cut out the wrote, part where we laughed know? for ten minutes. <laughs> don't you want to know who wrote this? I really do. I really do. I, I really want to know who wrote this. That's that's yeah. Hey, you know we have this big investigative journalist uh, outlet that 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 we work for now. We should have resources. We should be able to find out. Like someone could dig in and. Yeah, but wouldn't you be disappointed if it's like a leftist? <laughs> you know? it's probably, it's probably just, uh, yeah, it's some out of work fucking screenwriter. Yeah, look, yeah. I need a job. <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah. the struggle is real. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. I want to start with something incredibly petty, and I think it's fair every now and then just to kick this guy. Uh, I don't, and we've tried not to do this, because I think it's dangerous. It was dangerous, and it's always dangerous. I don't want to make fun of George W. Bush for being dumb, because that was an easy shot that people kept taking. And then, weirdly enough, he won, well, you know, he stole two elections. And, 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 and But there's always that thing. It's like one of those things that drives me crazy, like, you know, Clintonian Democrats will, like, go off for hours about how stupid Trump is, which, by the way, yeah, sure, but... Hey, that fucking moron beat your, I believe, what was yeah. the most qualified candidate. So what does that say about you? It's a, it's a <laughs> terrible indictment of you when you say that how dumb he is when he just yeah. kicked your fucking ass. I, I've, 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 I've actually boxed twice and not, you know, I mean, I sparred, that's it. And it's terrifying. But like the idea of like going into a ring uh, and getting the shit kicked out of you and then walking out of the ring and going, wow, that dude was a terrible boxer. It's like... <laughs> 
not, yeah. uh, not the message it's, you want to be sending. <laughs> it's it's because look, Bush isn't dumb. Bush has instincts that they don't comprehend. Right. Right. But he also used a model set up by Reagan, which is I'm yeah. the aw shucks, every guy, you know, thing. But he's not wonky, which is what they really can't yes. handle. And they that, can't that handle the lack of wonkiness. Yeah. And that's dumb. And I when Hillary was running against uh, Trump, I kept trying to bring up the wonkiness to liberals. Yeah. And they would always just go, I love it. And it's yeah. like, yeah, nobody likes that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Go to her not website. To, not to make this on a tangent, but there is literally nothing worse than when somebody who's not a politician, not a policy person, just a regular guy refers to themselves as a policy wonk. I literally, yes. there is no more unappealing type of person than that. I don't think, I don't think I've ever, women don't do that. Do they? Do they? No. I uh, I, I'm sure uh, that some. there have been some. Yeah, they, yes, I just suddenly flash you because I knew you talk about this stuff. And Casey, so I'm not, I'm not being somewhere, but but can I imagine you like on a date with some guy and he describes himself as that and you're saying, oh yeah, like, no, I like, definitely have been on a date with like yeah. a guy. And he's like, yeah, I'm kind of a policy wonk, and it's and like, then what? What do you do? How do you get? <laughs> what's the quickest way to get out of that? Like, how do you? You've ordered dinner, right? It's coming. He says he's a policy wonk, and now you're just like, what? You're just fucked, right? I mean, I, I just you say I, I just try to change the subject, but the guy <laughs> yeah. almost always continues, you know, insisting on <laughs> explaining to me some kind of terrible oh, God. thing. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, I don't want to make fun of him for being dumb, but here's the thing. He's somewhere, he's made a couple references in these things that he's somewhere in Texas, maybe even in his house. I have no idea. It's very clean. Who knows? Um, but they're in a studio or at least on a set or, you know, but there's, there's cameras. And I mean, this is not being shot on an iPhone. They're professional cameras. It's lit. There's, there's, so there's, there's crew. There's, you know, lights everywhere. He's obviously made up. You have to be made up to be in front of these things. So you can't be sitting in the room. George W. Bush is sitting in and not be aware of the fact that you're talking to a camera. Give me that. For those listening, one of the keys to success is clear realistic and measurable goals for those listening yeah but that's that's his they're watching that's his they're watching that's Nobody's... his appeal <laughs> i'm not kidding he makes <laughs> mistakes he we just... all make right yeah. he makes he's, he's the every guy he says stuff that's not perfect this is the right. guy no right. this is why he won and yeah. I'm, I'm making him more likable yeah. by laughing at him. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And, you know, the, well, I mean, we'll get into the mispronunciation of words and stuff like that, but that all is stuff that everybody does. Yeah. Everybody does. Pronunciation. If you ignore the fact that he's a horrible person, like that he's a truly horrible person who is responsible for the death of potentially millions of people, um, no. you just seems like you want to scratch his belly, you know? That's <laughs> 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 Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's get into it. Uh, he um, he's going to talk about accountability. <laughs> That's so shocking. Funny. <laughs> shocking. When they came up with accountability, when they were putting together the the outline for these episodes, mm-hmm. do you think they went? Can we really do this? Or <laughs> no? They definitely did. No, not even remotely. <laughs> I mean, they had to have had a chuckle and been like, okay, let's go ahead. <laughs> I don't think they did. <laughs> That's the thing. If there's anybody, and look, there, there, there's, a, there's a shot, um, you know, 
because if you worked on this thing and you saw these clowns doing this this podcast, you might listen in. If you worked on the George W. Bush Masterclass, please, please. get in touch with us here because we would please. love to. We would love to talk to you. We'll do it. We need we'll a it anonymously. Yeah, yeah. Get in touch with the the lever and and tell them you want to talk to us. We'll uh, we'll have you on. We'll do whatever, but we will we will not shame you. We can do it anonymously or not, but we would love to hear like answers to questions like that because I think it's really important. Actually, yeah. like, where they cracking up. But uh, here, so he's going to talk about his time in the oil business to discuss accountability. A business where accountability is pretty apparent is the baseball business. All you got to do is look at the standings. It's the ultimate accountability, isn't it? Is your team winning or is your team losing? And if it's not winning, what does it take to create a winning program? The interesting challenge for baseball is uh, it can't happen instantly. You can't win instantly. You have to have a strategy to build up your team. The oil business was pretty clear. Either the well was a good one or a bad one. And did did you have more good ones than bad ones? Otherwise, you'll go out of business. There's a lot of problems with stuff he said about both baseball and oil wells. Well, do you want to do baseball? Because I'm ready to go on oil. What's, what's wrong with baseball, Dave? So, so baseball has been structured so you can lose and make tons of money. Mm. So you can, year after year, put out a shit team and come home with gobs of cash, and you're great. Well, someone's got to lose. And people just want to go to the park, so they will keep going because they want to take their kids and have a day at the ballpark. Or they want to spend so, time with another man in a way that doesn't seem gay. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, so, and so what he's saying is sort of an idealized bullshit of what right. baseball is if you take out the business of baseball and everything right. else. It's, it's, it's fantastical nonsense, essentially. Well, so, and that applies to his experience in the oil industry as well, because, yes. um, uh, yeah, he uh, went to work with the company Arbusto Oil, um, which was more of a tax write-off than a business. The IRS allowed investors yeah. to deduct up to 75% of their losses, and there were a ton of losses. 75%? Yes. Uh, here's the great thing. They, they, uh, they hit, when they hit hard times, particularly hard times, a friend of uh bush's uh his crony james baker paid one million dollars for ten percent of the company you guys go to math one million dollars <laughs> for ten percent of the company now take a guess at what the company was valued at when he paid one million dollars for ten percent of it uh ten million dollars uh eighty thousand dollars three hundred eighty two thousand dollars oh my god yeah Sorry, three hundred eighty-two thousand three hundred seventy-six. That's a. I'm just going to point out that Baker is a terrible businessman. <laughs> if that's what he did, that would yeah, you wouldn't want to put that one on your resume. People are like, hey, I want to invest with this guy. Well, he just paid a million dollars for ten percent of a company. Imagine that's worth a third going, of a million dollars. Imagine him going on Shark Tank and and making that that pitch. <laughs> so uh, the company was renamed Bush Petroleum. They were acquired by a larger company called Spectrum 7. They made Bush a director, paid him 75000 a year, and gave him a million shares of stock. Within two years, Spectrum had lost 400000 and was $3 million in debt. Uh, a company called Harkin then bought the company for $2 million in Harkin stock. Bush got a quarter million in shares plus options. Um, do you want to know why they did it? Because the founder of the company had a very good point. The founder his, of Harkin? Yeah. Why they uh -huh. bought this company. Uh, his dad. Well, his name was George Bush. That was the that was worth the money they paid him. 
Yes. Yes. Like, no, I just want to say, being a good Democrat that I am, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. Uh, a vice president's son being given jobs he's not qualified to do simply because of his name. I don't see anything wrong with that. Do you, Dave? By the way, no, vice president's son who's apparently an addict. No. This is no, good. That, come on. He's this, now an this artist. Is how it works. Yes. Wow. Yeah, they're all. Yeah. Wow. Fail sons are fail sons. They have a wow. they have an arc. Wow. Kate, do you know what we're talking about really here? I don't really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. It is it is a shame of our existence, David. I missed Hunter Biden had a, an art show out here uh, last year, and we missed it. And we missed it. And the and the painting sold for a lot. They sold oh for wow! A lot of money. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, so it gets really complicated. Essentially, Harkin was facing ruin for a whole bunch of shady dealings, and the SEC had to come in and investigate them. Somewhere in between those shady dealings and the investigation. Uh, Bush sold his share in the company for nearly a million bucks. Sure. Um, it was one of several stock sales that he failed to report to the SEC, but oh, that's shit. okay because the SEC was run by a friend of his father's. Oh. So he's right. Well, the, that, oil business, the oil business yeah. is very clear. It's very clear. <laughs> it's all <laughs> winners you drill, and losers. If it's not there, you don't make money and you go away. That's how it works. That's right. Free or someone buys, or a friend of your dad buys the company, and then another friend of your dad buys the company, and then another friend of your dad buys the company, and then you sell your stocks That's illegally and get no punishment. Yeah. You, so that's fine man yes it'd be so accountability cool to, yeah it'd be so cool to be extremely rich i mean yeah you know to you, be a bad you, person but it would rule yeah you get to do you just get to do whatever and there's never any repercussions yeah like never <sighs> unless you go against the other rich people like the theranos thing if you take advantage of the other rich, oh, yeah. then they'll come down on you. But other than that, or like Bernie Madoff, yeah, yeah, Bernie Madoff, great example. Like, yeah, well, look, look it. at Trump, like all the shit he got away with. But then he comes after Joe Biden, or you yeah. know, he comes after Congress, and all of a sudden now it's a big deal. Now we got to do something. He's coming after us. That's yeah. that's what he got impeached for twice. Was going after power. Yeah. Not 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 the 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 multitude of businesses he he put out of. Uh, yeah. business in new york by just not paying them the money he owed them yeah exactly correct um that's but, the art uh, of the deal just don't pay people yeah don't pay people completely yeah. not only still the simple. best thing ever the best thing ever at trump is he, he had a a a uh, law firm that fought the people who he hadn't paid and then he didn't pay he them didn't and pay they had them. to hire another law firm to fight <laughs> it's it's the best Trump thing ever. Absolute king. Absolute king. Uh, well, enough, enough of that. Let's uh, let's talk about one of the things that Bush actually does seem to care about in his own weird way. Um, education. The beginning of No Child Left Behind came here in Texas when we said to the legislators, if you're going to spend money, shouldn't we know whether or not we're getting good results? It's what I call challenging the soft bigotry of low expectations. We don't think you can learn Therefore, we're just going to move, move you through the system. And so I viewed education as a civil right. And when I got to Washington, you know, 7% of the budget, education budget more or less, was being spent on schools. And so we said, fine, we'll, be, we'll, we'll support that budget. But we want to know whether it works and therefore measure. And if, if your children are not reading at grade level, change what you're doing. 
And if you don't change what you're doing, uh, there'll be consequences, such as giving parents different choices of schools to go to. Yeah. Um, so this is based on what was known as the Texas Miracle. Is that like when the Virgin Mary appeared on a gun? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what it was. Um, The Texas Miracle was uh, this amazing change in schools in Texas while uh, W was governor. Um, uh, uh, All of a sudden, um, through the changes that they made, particularly amongst um, minorities, there was an incredible increase in um, proficiency and grades and whatever else. So, you know, everyone was just like, this is incredible, um, high standards, accountability stuff. Uh, What? So that that leads to No Child Left Behind. Um, Years later, when people went back and looked at the Texas miracle, what they did was um, just uh, get rid of students with disabilities. Yeah. um, Non-English speakers. Uh, minority students who were having, you know, problems because of systematic stuff. They just um, got them out of schools. So what they did was eliminate everybody who has a difficulty learning. And then suddenly test scores went up, if you can believe that. So that's the Texas miracle, um, uh, like a light fascism where you cut out those who are having a difficult uh, difficulties. <laughs> And uh, you call it an amazing thing that has been done. So uh, then they go into Washington saying they've done this amazing thing when actually they've done a fucking horrible thing. Horrible. Well, and what's um, also interesting about it is that it was it was created primarily by business leaders, CEOs. Of course. It's like bringing a business approach to education. And that's and that's been ever since this. That's been a significant issue, you know, then Bill Gates came in after No Child Left Behind with Common Core, and it's all about business. And to this day, we still have the testing. And one of the reasons that Biden wanted kids back in schools was because the testing companies needed to make money. It's a huge profit center and they give money to Democrats. Uh, it's just part of the cycle. Sorry, stupid question. Couldn't they couldn't they just do that by um well, over Zoom. Oh, what? Couldn't they just do that over Zoom? No. For some reason, they can only do it in person. They cannot do it over the Internet. Uh, I would have guessed because they would have to actually um, then go and create a program, which would cost money, whereas they're just giving out booklets. Yeah. Little scantrons. I think that I, I don't, you know, so I was a kid when all this was going down and I can't remember to what extent George W. Bush was responding to or was responsible for this, like, kind of, uh, you know, increase in in very sort of anti-teacher rhetoric, you know? Yeah, that's a big part of this. It's, it's, um, it it really put, it it takes the uh, responsibility of schools in what's happening with schools off of the policymakers and the politicians who aren't funding it enough and doing enough, uh, giving enough support and puts it all right. on the all principals teachers. And, the, and, and the teachers. And, and then what no child behind then leads to is this 
overfocus on the tests, which are the way they now judge what is a good school and a bad school. And a good teacher. And too. that, yeah. yeah, and that is tied to funding. And so teachers now worried about their jobs are teaching less and just focusing on the tests. Yeah. And so their entire curriculum becomes geared to a dumb fucking test, a stupid Scantron test, instead of like taking what's happening in the world and applying current, you know, uh, teaching stuff to what's going on and making the kids interested. It becomes robotic and business-like. Yeah. You're no longer teaching dumb. them how to think. You're just teaching them how to pass yes. a specific test. Yeah, when curiosity is not a part of it, as, as yeah. Dave mentioned. And, and then teachers... You know, I have teachers in my family. They quit because of this. Yep. They could no longer teach. They're now, their their principals are pushing them to gear it all about the tests so they can get money. So they're all fighting for money to make education better. But by fighting for the money, they're making education worse. It's a disaster. And everybody said this was going to happen at the beginning, particularly with the over-reliance on the tests. It was, it was just a bad idea. And... And no one listened to the teachers. At no point was anybody, let's have the teacher input. It right. was all yeah. politicians, the Democrats and Republicans slapping themselves on the back. Parents, like, parents know best. Politicians know well, best. Well, and that's, I mean, that's kind of part of what I was getting at is it feels like there was, because I remember when I was a little, little kid, people were like, oh, being a teacher is so noble. They should get paid more. And it seemed like a thing that people kind of, agreed on to one extent or another but then there was definitely this shift in into this type of thinking that like the reason that schools are not functioning is because like teachers are lazy right. and teachers yeah. are bad and the union is you know protecting these people who aren't even doing their work and you know you could hit a kid and still keep your job and you know i mean the obviously like the the Bill Gates stuff was a huge part of that. But I, I can't remember, like, was George W. Bush the person who kind of made that shift happen? Or no, was he responding I, to, to be something? honest, his, his um, you know, No Child Left Behind wasn't radically far from the education policy yeah, that, that Al Gore was proposing when yeah. he ran. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they differed in a few areas. But, yeah, but it's always been that way. You know, think about the beginning of COVID, where it was like the teachers were the heroes who were going to get our kids through this quarantine. And then all of a sudden they became, because, you know, they were going, maybe we shouldn't open schools because we don't want to be exposed to uh, your diseased kids and die. And all of a sudden they were like the pieces of shit who are interfering with our kids getting educated. Yeah. And it was yeah. like such a, you know, it served so many functions of, you know, punching at one of the biggest, most successful unions. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also, I mean, it's like people are so concerned about their own kids that I even have friends that are like real good liberals that are like, right. you know, all of a sudden on board with all of this like right wing yeah. force the teachers back to school, you know, look, break up the union, whatever. And because it's their own kids. So their politics are out the window. Well, and they've also, um, you know, the manufactured consent with that stuff has been extraordinary to watch. Like they just put out the talking point that kids have been harmed by not being in school yeah. when every study shows that when kids are not in school, suicides go down and so does mental health issues. Schools cause 
suicide and mental health issues. So when kids went back into school, they started killing themselves again yeah. and having mental health issues. But there, there was also so the fact all that, based on a, a false bullshit. But it's well, but also there were there were there were some kids who clearly and you know you and I both know people who you know well I'm my kid and then they can look at studies that go yeah a lot of kids were hurt by it. Guess what? A lot of kids were helped by it too. Yes. Yeah. It's like those numbers, you know, the ratio probably didn't change that much. It was like, and, and, you know, there were kids who were hurt by going to school for the last five years who suddenly flourished in, in this other yes. thing and, and vice versa. So it's all, it's like, I'm yeah. sure a lot depends on your family. Like if I had to be, yes. home, if I had to be home from school when I was in high school, that would have been uh, honestly really horrible for me because there was some very difficult medical things going on in my house and that was like school was like mm. the escape and i know you know there's tons of people that have tough situations for for various reasons you know but it probably depends on what kind of environment you have during the day to be in i have friends who are principals and you know in education and uniformly when you would start talking about this they would all say the parents who were screaming about their kids having problems at home are the same parents who were terrible parents yeah. before COVID mm -hmm. and were a problem. And now they're just pushing this out on society, society. But the problem is not the lockdown or anything else. The problem is they're, they're bad parents. That's but, pretty, you know, there's also the angry, the angry screaming because they couldn't afford to. I mean, that's a whole different. Yeah. Thing. But like, those weren't the ones, home. those weren't right, the ones screaming. Right. They weren't screaming. The ones screaming, the loud ones, were the bad parents. And the reason they're bad parents is because they're screamy people. They're not people <laughs> who sit down and go, how can we fix this? They're yelling Dave. fucking idiots. Dave. Yeah, I get you're, it. You're a screaming person. But I'm also not a screaming at school person. That is so um, this, what, you know, Kate brings up a really good point, which is there isn't actually a uniform one size fits all. Yep. system for schools like we actually have to adapt and change our schools so we can accommodate a bunch of different kids like the kid that does do better at home why isn't that kid allowed to be educated at home without putting a tremendous burden on the parent yeah like there should just be online systems for a child to go i'm getting bullied or whatever else is going on and i would get an education at at home much better yeah but i mean you think in a, in a healthy that. society that would have been one of the lessons we've learned from all this yeah there are ways to do this that can reach kids who aren't being reached in a classroom yeah and but there's also look, always no, going to be a thing where education's never it's it isn't one size fits all and you're never going to fit all the sizes you know it's sure, like there you're are people not, but there but you can accommodate more people than are being accommodated. yeah i mean look we've read the articles like there are were a, a significant group of kids that did flourished at home um, so, you know, so why not follow up that lead? But No Child Left Behind is all about one size fits all. Yeah. That's all it is. And, and that, that's really what it pushed. And it, it pushed it. So, so what it does is it punishes schools for not getting good test scores by taking away their money. So that's the yeah. opposite of what needs to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if the well, that's not a business well, approach. That's a it CEO is a approach. approach. Yes. And it's just uh, completely the opposite of what should happen with education. Like if right. a school's not doing well, well, then you have it to go. It needs more resources. Yeah. Maybe create a, de a special department within the Department of Education that specifically deals with schools that are struggling. And you have like almost experts that, that then can 
come up with solutions or ways to fix it instead of just being like, well, that's it. Like, if you don't fucking get your shit together, we're taking all your cash away. It's really barbaric. But this is, here he is, here he is saying how great it was. And by the way, when he is now doing this masterclass, it is 100% completely seen as a failure. In 2015, they went back and rewrote it, not enough of it, because at that point, the testing companies have got all their money in, and that's never going away. But they went in and said, this is a failure, it's not working. And Obama campaigned on it. So he's giving this class talk after we know it's a failure and he's acting like it's all great he's acting like the fact that the texas miracle isn't a myth and total bullshit he's just lying right here right now that's why i like him in an episode called accountability yes. <laughs> uh I, we're going to do something that i don't think we're going to do again during uh, this entire series you guys all strapped in yes uh, we're going to talk about one of the very few things George W. Bush did that uh, is actually a little bit good. Um, no. And, and it's interesting to me because I did not. Did you know about PEPFAR, you guys, before? No. I, I did not. I, I, I did and didn't. Like, there is the I certainly didn't know it by name. It. I did not know it by name. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Um, and there are some grotesque, bushy aspects to this, which we'll get into it. Yes. But he's about to tell you a little bit of truth here. PEPFAR is a program that we put in place to stop the pandemic of AIDS on the continent of Africa. It turned out to be an effective program because millions of lives are saved. Most people listening to this masterclass and most people in the country have no idea what PEPFAR is, when in fact it is a health initiative that saved millions of lives. Early in my administration, Condoleezza Rice came and said, Mr. President, are you aware there's a pandemic destroying an entire generation of people on the continent of Africa? And I said, we better do something about this because I believe all life is precious. And I believe to whom much is given, much is required, and a lot has been given to our nation. Uh, I recognize the United States can't solve every problem, but we can tackle the big ones. And I made it a priority of my administration to develop a strategy to deal with the pandemic. Sorry, before we get into it, did George W. Bush just say from each according to his ability to each according to his needs? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, Conda, actually, can we yeah. just say something about Condoleezza Rice really quick about sure. coming in and saying sure. that she needs to save, uh, you know, the people of Africa from the AIDS crisis when she's de- helping to destroy the people of Africa through her oil uh, bullshit? Mm. Is that different? Uh, thing, can different we? Thing, different, is it a different, different thing? Different, oh, different so, thing so, like in certain certain different. things, certain things, uh, certain ways you kill people are fine, and certain other ways you kill people are not fine. Like she. Correct. Yeah, she did terrible. They named a boat, an oil fucking boat, Condoleezza Rice. Yes. God. Like, she is a fucking terrible person. Terrible person. What you're saying is they should have instead named a new strain of AIDS after her. <laughs> That's correct. So, nobody, you know, he put together a team. By the way, uh, our beloved, one of the great uh, unimpeachable American heroes of all time, uh, Dr. Fauci, was one of the people on this team. Um, put together a plan that effectively got uh, uh, AIDS drugs and treatments to millions of Africans. 
And can we can we point out that um, everyone's favorite uh, uh, Karen Whisper, uh, Dr. Emily Oster, um, was against um, giving out AIDS medication. Oh right, Africa yes, this is great because yeah. it uh, was too costly. Oh yeah. God, yeah. Uh, there is one glitch, but I mean, the thing is the program was effective. Now you get in this interesting area. It could have been more effective. Um, and the one glitch is, uh, um, you know, if you don't see it coming, uh, here it is. One of the effective things about this program is we included faith-based groups, uh, into the delivery of antiretroviral drugs, as well as information as to how to stop the spread of AIDS. Uh, you know, Catholic charities, for example, has a significant presence across Africa, and we incorporated them into the strategy. Okay. Effective ways. You know what the most effective way to stop the transmission of AIDS is? Anybody? It's, is it not our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, weirdly, uh, weirdly, they left out the part where, like, yeah, using condoms is a good idea. Uh, we, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so only education. I'm, they were big on that. I was going to go with um, blowjobs, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say anal. Is that not right? Yeah, that's that's not right. If, if um, yeah, that's how to prevent pregnancy. My, my, I, I was gonna girl. riff, but that was too gross a riff. I'll, yeah, I'll keep it tough, off the show. This is tough yeah. place to riff. <laughs> um, you know, this is the same thing as uh, this is the underlying current of the Iraq War is to spread the word of Jesus Christ. Mm. I mean, that's that's uh. That's what he's that's the problem with this is, yes, getting drugs to people is great, but handing them pamphlets about how they shouldn't be fucking at the same time is not really how you do it. So to be fair, I mean, this program is still essentially in effect. Um, and by the way, for anybody, because this stuff, do we even talk about this stuff anymore? It's all sort of feel like, no. you know, everyone kind of knows this, but abstinence only has been proven to be exactly, exactly. This is measurable by science uh, have zero impact on the spread of AIDS or any other STD. Wait, you mean people don't read something that says that they shouldn't fuck and then stop fucking? I am that is correct. dumbfounded. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. You're the first. I... You're the first. And uh, Well, I feel like, like a real people... sucker for doing what it said on the pamphlet. <laughs> All those years of fun. Years of my having. life. I've given but, up. But yeah. um, they have, the absence only teaching has been reduced drastically, but they still, it's still there and they still have no money for contraception. But I would say grading on a curve. Oh my God, they don't? No. They do not. Uh, they do not. But I mean, grading on a curve. Like, like this is where for you For a guy go... who walks into a situation and accidentally kills thousands of people, excuse me, thousands of people, you know, it's like, okay, fine, they're, they don't give out condoms, but they save a lot of lives. Yeah, but where, so like this, this is from whatever, 2000 and whatever, four or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Democrats have been in office. Like, how do they justify not going in there and just fucking fixing that and sending crates of condoms? Yeah. How yeah. do you justify that? Uh, Unless that might, you just that might don't enrage care? Uh, certain aspects of the electorate, I guess. I mean, still, we're never going to vote for you. Still, millions of people are dying. It's still a pandemic. Millions yeah. of people are dying. It's, Could you imagine you know, a world in which Democrats cared exactly as much or as little about offending Republicans as Republicans care about offending Democrats? Oh, God. <laughs> it's, just, it's crazy. But, so, you know, a little bit of credit. 
I mean, weird as it got, we got the whole fallout. I mean, the credit, but the credit is what the credit is like. He didn't they ignore AIDS in Africa, right? He right. actually went and tried to do something, but then the other side is that it's still religious based nonsense, which yeah. has been going on in Africa for fucking decades Correct. and cost untold number of lives. It's Correct. Imperialist religious bullshit. Yes. Don't let the perfect okay. be the enemy of the godly. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. You make a really good point. Uh, well, that was chapter six. Now we get into this one's a really small one. We'll probably be done this in about 30 seconds flat. Crisis management. This is astonishing. This one. <laughs> honestly, I think if we we're smart, we could have just done the entire series on this one episode and we're just going to breeze through it. But um, this one, he talks about what are the most important ways to be a leader during a crisis. And he takes us yeah. on a journey through several. And I don't know if you're too familiar with George W. Bush, dear listeners, but there were some crises during that man's administration. And we're going to run through a couple of the big ones, actually three of the big ones. But um, here, here's his sort of basic overview on what a leader has to do in times of crisis. If the person responsible for dealing with a crisis gets rattled or nervous, the people detailed to respond to that crisis would tend to be nervous. So leadership in crisis really is sending the right psychological message. I, I really, 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 really wanted him to say if the person in crisis, if the person in crisis is uh, reading a book about a goat. Or something. <laughs> I was like, please, we'll, get please. To the, we'll get to the goat book. <laughs> yeah. But he goes into a little more detail. Yeah. The second lesson of a crisis is to say something. I mean, sure, the person may be calm, but if people don't know that that person is calm and don't know the facts about a crisis, uh, what's happening, then all of a sudden people start imagining things. And so if you notice, you see a local crisis and the fire chief is speaking, calming your nerves by giving you facts, for example. Okay, so now we're going to get into detail, right? There's one more. I would say, well, I would actually say that, like, if I'm faced with the crisis, I will just sort of lean a little bit to the side in my chair, mm -hmm. squeeze out a fart, wink, <laughs> just let everybody know, like, I'm just super casual here. Yeah. Like, this is something I do every day. I got this. No, you're being funny, Dave, but my impulse in a crisis is to run around like a chicken with my head head missing and scream like a maniac. So I'm finding this useful. I would like to hear the, the rest of this. Wow. He's going to get into details. The third thing, which is essential during a crisis, is to project a sense of compassion. I think in order to be a compassionate project. person, it's important to put yourself in their spot. I remember uh, going through fires in Parker County here in Texas. I saw a woman sitting on a doorstep of a burnt out house weeping. And I went up and hugged her and just sat there and talked to her. Leaders need to take time to think about the other person and try to help ease pain. I tell people I was commander in chief, but oftentimes I was comforter in chief. Comforter in chief. So the core of what he's going to teach us about leadership in crisis He's 100% entirely about appearances. Yeah. I like to, yes. and he project. acknowledged that. He said, project a sense of compassion. Project. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah. okay, then what? Yeah. Well, then, then pretend you care. Okay, then what? Then look calm. Okay, how? how... <laughs> then, then what? Well, then you put your arm around a lady. 
and you talk to her about some stuff yeah and then once you've once you've got like so so there's a lady and her house is burned down right mm -hmm. and you're president and if you go over and just talk to her and shoot the shit for a little bit you're that's good you did it i mean that you're is done. what i do in a crisis i pretend to care and then i feel someone up that's it you know? <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah i'm reminded remember when he, i think it was his dad was uh there was criticism that he he didn't care about people who were dying of aids and right. the concerted PR response from the White House was, that's absolute horseshit. As a matter of fact, one of his dearest friends has a son who's dying of AIDS, and he just spent an entire hour and a half in the hospital room with him, reading the Bible to him and holding his hand. And by the way, it's one of those things where you sort of almost appreciate Trump, at least the part of Trump where Trump doesn't <laughs> pretend to give a fuck. I'm like, okay, I'm with you so far. The rest of it is like, now do something that actually helps people. You know, it's like, who gives a fuck that George Bush sat in a hospital room holding right. a hand with one guy dying of AIDS? There's a decent possibility that if Bush and, say, his predecessor, Ronald Reagan, had addressed AIDS, his friend's kid wouldn't be dying of it. And he wouldn't it's, have to be sitting in a room actually caring about somebody who's part of his conclave. You know what I mean? It's like, who gives well, a fuck? I don't care that he's nice actually, to people in his world. It doesn't matter. It's actually the opposite of what he should be doing. It's the Correct. exact opposite. He's at... You are not in a one-on-one -on -one situation as the president. As the president, you're taking care of all the fucking people. Exactly right. And so all this shit is just like, yeah, it's performative nonsense. Yeah. But and this is no the compassionate Christian, Christian shit, right? This yeah. is why people like him. He's an everyday guy. He's going to go and hang out with that lady. Well, you don't need him to hang out with that lady. That's the last thing that lady needs. Oh, my God. And then later, on, and then later on, he's like, if I landed my jet, I would take away all the, all the responsive first first responder stuff because they'd have to you know look after the president it's like well what the fuck were you doing there as governor you had your arm around this lady like it's just he's just trying to rewrite every situation yeah because he's a total fuck up I'm he's just, an enormous fuck up i'm just imagining being in some crisis where my house is like burned down and instead of like dealing with the fire department and trying to see if i could get the last of my possessions i'm just trying to like get away from some guy just being like, <laughs> right. like I, I'm, I'm really sorry i have to go i thank you <laughs> oh, no, no, even imagine like you're there outside yeah. your house is on fire and the fire department shows up <laughs> And the fire chief walks up to you <laughs> and he fucking hugs you. Like, you stop, fuck, would you turn on the fucking hose, motherfucker? I don't need your hug. Yeah. I feel so sorry for your loss. It's still burning. You can put it out. I might not be losing yeah. everything. Now, nah, let me give you a hug. I'm I'm showing compassion. Yeah. Yep. Oh, God. So uh, maybe after the quarantine, maybe after like six months of being sure. alone, I'll be like, OK. You know, just throw me some human touch. But. Even, even from even from George W. Bush. No. The uh, the um, so I don't know. Can you guys like? Can you remember like which? Uh, so there were a bunch of crises. It's been a long time. So I don't know if you remember. Let's start with one. Do you remember nine eleven? It happened. No. Are you saying that you believe it happens or that was a thing? Yeah. You remember when that happened? So do you remember? Do you remember what uh, George W. Bush was doing when he found out? <laughs> yes. It was happening. We all he do. was. What, what's it called? Okay, just, what's the name of the My Little Goat or something? I don't remember the book, but I will. Th I mean that. It, it was. Uh, it was Goat Boy by Jim Brewer. <laughs> goat Boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's reading a book about goats to to kids, and there's that famous picture, and he really does. I've never seen him. I, I also the thing with Bush that got me is like people talked about how he projected strength and character, and he always looked. I gotta say, he looks much more relaxed now. But the entire duration of his presidency. He always looked like a deer in the headlights to me. 
and never more so than in that picture of his advisor whispering in his ear that yeah. second attack. And and I have to imagine, and look, well, let's, let's, here's his recounting of it, then we'll get into what happened. We were at the elementary school in Sarasota, Florida. I was there, by the way, to promote good reading programs. And a child's reading and the teacher, I'm observing it all. And also very aware of the fact that small classroom was crammed with news cameras. And Andy whispers in my ear, second plane has hit the second tower. America's under attack. My first reaction was, my job's clear. Protect these little children and their families and their country. But the cameras are watching my every move. And therefore I waited for the proper moment to leave the classroom, thinking about what I just heard. Got out, made a few phone calls to prepare the federal response. I was helping uh, New York City and uh, state of New York and prepared a statement. I like thinking about what I just heard. Seven minutes. <laughs> could you, for could seven you, minutes. like he just doesn't know what to do, so he just stays there. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine, like as if the kids aren't going to hear about it in 10 minutes anyway. Right. Like you just get up and go, Hey kids, sometimes the president's got to go deal with stuff. Yeah. And by the way, Here, here's how do those kids not know that? Of course they know that, you know? Um, yes. So here's what's funny. I mean, he took seven minutes now let's be fair. And I'm not even being, you know, nobody expects, I mean, and there are to varying degrees presidents of the United States are, are where the buck stops. But they're also very much figureheads. And, you know, even like an honest president would say, I'm not the one you want, you know, making the snap decisions in a situation like this. You want a bunch of people who are qualified, say. That the fact that nobody felt like it was important that George W. Bush get out of this classroom, that we would go deal with <laughs> It's not as damning as you'd think. It's just a little more honest, don't you think? I mean, if we're in this yeah. situation today, look, I love Joe Biden like every other honest, God-fearing American, but in this situation, he's not the guy I want handling this no. situation. Well, he, right can't even, he can't even figure out how to get off stage. Yep, we're seeing. So. But, like, I, you know, but Cheney's different. Like, Cheney's immediately in charge and running shit. Like, that's right. actually the guy who's running the show. So he's... I think they had right. him up in the air in the bunker. One of the other two, they yeah, got him immediately. You know, in a place. Yeah, immediately they got him there. Um, but yeah, no, Bush is a figurehead, and he's really not in charge of anything. Like he's just—he's literally a party boy who got into the White House and is just having a good time. And now he's yeah. like, "Oh fuck, I can't have a good time." But That's what the face seriously, is. But can the you face imagine? Is, yeah. What? What do I do? What? The, yeah, the and face is like, "Oh, I was having is, fun." A second airplane has hit. Uh, an airplane, another airplane has hit the the other tower. And yeah. keep reading to these kids. Stay calm. We're handling it. Yeah, probably. You know, uh, yeah. but it's funny because later on, you know, he's like, okay, so he's got seven minutes to sit there. This is his, this is his formal presentation of events. I sat there cause I thought I needed to take care of these kids somehow as though that's more important than whatever. Uh, but later on, he says this, um, t- he talks about making his first statement after the attacks a few minutes later. And I saw the shock, horror, disbelief, you know, I mean, people's, Expressions were like, wow, can this be real? And left the classroom and got into the limousine, hurtling down a highway in Florida as fast as that thing would go. On the way to Air Force One, Condi calls me and said, a plane has hit the Pentagon. And 
To me, it was a declaration of war, and I became a wartime president. So do you get it, though? At this point now, they understand every minute counts. Why are they? He's got seven minutes to keep reading the fucking goat book, but all of a sudden now they're hurtling because every second counts. And he's, he'd already read the goat book several times on his own time, so That's right. yeah. he knew what happened. It's It's almost as if different people wrote different sections of this because... Every every moment is is countering a different moment in this class. That none of it is consistent and works throughout. Yeah, yeah. It was more important to sit and talk to those kids. It was absolutely essential that we get me to Air Force One as quickly as humanly possible. It's like make up your well, mind. except for the seven minutes. Except when, uh, but uh, but I love that his excuse is that he had to take care of the kids in that moment. You, that's the that teacher's means. job, dude. Well, he's he's trying to yeah. keep the he's he's saying he's saying I had to keep them calm from what they don't know anything. Yeah, the only person who knows is fucking you, dude. Like it's just none of it makes sense because yeah. what he did was just a bad, dumb decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it would almost be well, what I was going to say, and then I decided I'm wrong. It, it would it would almost be understandable <laughs> if he said that like. I was really overwhelmed for a second and sure. I needed a minute to process yeah. that information. But I guess the president of the United States is like the one person that we would say should not be someone who needs that, you know? But couldn't, but don't you think he could be the one guy could do that? Cause he's the ordinary yeah. shucks guy. He could have been yeah. like, I was just like, I needed a couple of minutes to gather myself and think about what I should be, uh, what to do and how to handle this. Yeah. And I'm in front of the kids and I didn't like, he could have come up with a thing, but he, yeah, yeah, it's it. None of it makes sense. Yeah. So then he gives his speech, um, to which he personally makes a last-minute addition. Uh, he doesn't. He's going to talk about that in a minute. But what he doesn't mention is that this last-minute addition was done without consultation with Cheney, Rumsfeld, Powell, the State Department, or the Justice Department. I thought it was important to show a more compassionate side to say, look, we're we're hurting and we're going to get out of this, uh, as opposed to a bellicose statement. Although I did say, if you harbor a terrorist, you're equally as guilty as a terrorist. And it's important at this point to make it clear to everybody who's going to be advising the president and implementing plans. I said, we're at war. And nobody should think otherwise. I just remember hearing that when he said that. And I was a kid. And I didn't understand the way things worked yet. So I thought, yeah. if you harbor a terrorist, like... If you're literally hiding a terrorist in your house, I didn't get that that was going to be an excuse to bomb <laughs> whole countries that had right. nothing to do with Al Qaeda. But you exactly. guys probably but, I mean, did. That's the thing. We, yeah. have, we have been paying for that little addition for two decades. Yeah. Yeah. And Saudi Arabia also didn't realize they were being threatened because they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And again, I mean, you could dissect this bit line by line, and somebody should this entire section just on 9-11, because it is just an astonishing revision and, and yeah, you know, insight into the, the way they lie and also the way he, he thinks about some of this stuff. Um, but his his summary of the 9-11 section is uh, interesting to me. And uh, I'll tell you what he does at the end after you hear it. When a situation like 9-11 happens, your instincts kick in. There is no rule book. There is no playbook. You use your best judgment. And you rely upon others' best judgment as well. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of collaboration on big issue, any issue, but big issues. And you want to make sure that your instincts are correct. 
uh, you bounce them off other people or you listen to what they have to say. But on 9-11, there wasn't a lot of warm-up for, for dealing with the crisis because it came upon us suddenly. And it's like life, you do the best you can. Uh, and hopefully the experiences that led up to this moment in time during a crisis enables you to better deal with it. And ultimately, in my case, history will make a proper judgment. I wish we were visual for no other reason than to just show the little smirk he gives there at the end about how he's going to judge him. Because he's recording this sometime in the last few months, the last year. And thanks to uh, Donald J. Trump, actually more thanks to the Democratic response to Donald J. Trump, History has been revising George W. Bush at a clip like I have never fucking seen. Yeah. Yeah. Simply because he is not Donald J. Trump and has made some tepid comments that were taken, I think rightly so, as criticisms of Donald J. Trump. We now love this man. It's okay for Michelle Obama to hug him. Didn't she give what did she give him? Lifesavers or something? Or vice versa? Yeah. It's so sweet that they're friends. Isn't that nice? And and he's smirking at the end of this because where he sits now, and at least for the duration of his life, he'll be perceived as one of the nice ones. Yeah. That's so right. it's okay he to will. do. That's now he can you imagine if he came out with his master class a week after he left office? <laughs> oh my god. I mean, he is he is the most egregious example of a war criminal in modern u.s history yeah yeah i mean it's weird because it seems like even i don't know because i mean i was thinking about like the end of his administration even the middle and it was such a painful time emotionally Mm -hmm. i think you know and i mean financially people were really struggling and it, it feels like people did to some extent forget about it like forget how bad that was when Trump was yeah. in office because I mean Trump obviously another horrible president but it it just felt like there was this collective amnesia of like no it used to be horrible every day when W was president as well yeah 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 and it all got memory hold because Trump's so overtly bad yeah I mean Trump Trump said bad things but it it was a relentless barrage of right wing fucking hate and hell under. Yeah. It was the same thing. It's just that he didn't use the same mannerisms and dickish language, but it was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also way, pretty I, gay I back then, too, so that was hard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I don't give a shit whether or not, you know, everyone was like, oh, my God, Trump's such a hypocrite claiming to be, like, religious. Like, I don't, you know, and by the way, I believe that Trump doesn't have religious blood in his body. I do believe that George W. Bush probably does believe in God. And you know what? Yeah. I don't give a fuck. It has nothing uh, to do yeah. with anything. The people they allowed in, the, their relationship with the far right, with fundamentalist Christians was exactly the same. What does it fucking matter what they believe in their heart? It's their deeds that matter. And people are like, well, George, he's actually a man of faith. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Who yeah. gives I a know, fuck? No, if anything, believing that you are like in believing that like God is on your side is almost worse than the regular kind of narcissistic delusion that we saw with Trump, you know? Right. Well, I, I yeah. think in their case, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. If Trump does believe in a God. He only believes that that God cares about him in the world. Yeah. So. But, um, yeah, uh, just, just astonishing. So, uh, there's another crisis during the, uh, Oh, well, really? Yeah. There's a little, little hurricane called. Katrina. Oh shit. 
late August 2005, um, Katrina becomes a Category 1 hurricane. 110 mile-per-hour winds hit Florida, kill a bunch of people, about 14, left half a million without power. Uh, Governor Jeb Bush, I believe a relation, um, declares a state of emergency. And over the next few days, it became a Category 5 hurricane. Uh, well, yeah. let's... Before we get into this, he said he says he tries to frame this that it really happened fast and it was a super surprise. Um, hurricanes happen fast in the Gulf of Mexico. You can uh, somewhat figure out how that's going to occur based on the water temperature. And in this case, there was a pocket of water that was really, really disturbing, that was super, super hot. And for three days, the hurricane was projected to hit exactly. Yes. Where it hit. Correct. That is correct. Uh, Bush was on vacation in Texas. Just like he was on vacation when he got the memo that there were people going to hijack planes. Remember, That's he right. vacationed a lot, just like Trump. Uh, it's interesting. He describes uh, the early stages of this thusly. The Federal Emergency Management Agency anticipated that there could be a need for, you know, water and supplies and I remember contacting local officials, asking two questions. One, what are you doing to prepare your citizens for the storm, and do you need anything? There wasn't a huge request. I think everybody at all levels was determined to do something about it. Unfortunately, at certain levels, they uh, didn't have a plan. So what actually happened is uh, the FEMA director, his buddy Michael Brown, set up a video conference with officials and weather experts and the president, and um, what did he say? He asked a couple. He asked no questions, not one. He <laughs> felt it was all under control. Uh, 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 no, could you imagine, like, not having a question with a major, not one question? You are such an incurious, just yes. stump of a human being that you don't have one question. It's, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, it, should, yeah. it speaks to a lack of compassion, too, because it's like even if you let's say, you know, as was the case with George W. Bush, everyone else in his administration was handling the actual business. Like you would think on some human level, you would be motivated to ask some questions. There might be yeah. a reason for that, which uh, uh, one of our favorite rappers is going to address later. Yeah, but, I remember um, that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so two days later, the levees failed. 90%, 90% of New Orleans residents fled their homes. Um, this is some of that calm that Bush talks about at the beginning that you have to project. He finished his schedule, spent the night in Texas, then returned to Washington the next day because he felt it would look better not to be seen panicking. You know, all that shit he learned during 9-11. But surely there's a difference between I must not be seen panicking and I must not be seen paying attention to this major crisis. But he just... Eh. Uh, Friday, he finally heads down there. Um, this is a great line from his very lousy speech. I had forgotten this, but, but it came back. Uh, out of this chaos is going to come a fantastic Gulf Coast like it was before. Out of the rubble of Trent Lott's house, he's lost his estate house. There's going to be a fantastic house. And I'm looking forward to sitting on the porch. 
<laughs> oh my god! What an idiot! What an asshole! Later, it's... later in the day was the famous heck of a job brownie line, which we have addressed. Uh, um, uh, it's just so it's just so great how they these Christians can paint themselves as just caring about people, but really they're just rich assholes who don't care about anything. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't say that if you care about people. You like we all watching on TV. I I'll never forget this feeling because I. Even 9-11 was different because 9-11 was an attack and, and this was watching the American government live on television abandon human beings to death. Yeah. yeah. It was gut-wrenchingly... And it's the beginning of... We've now seen it many, many times. I was going to say, that was the first time I had that feeling where you're just sitting there. Yeah, I know these right? people are bad. Even, I mean, Reagan as bad as he was and horrible. And you have made it. I don't disagree the case that he's, he's almost certainly a worse president than Bush. Uh, there was never that moment of just something this blatant and inexorable happening. And, and you're president and the administration just not giving a fuck i mean i think yeah he he didn't he get a cake on a on a runway because it was his birthday while this was going on and oh, then wow, he got I on the plane and there's a picture of him on the plane looking down well, we're and then he goes there it's a and then he goes there and he does he does the brownie thing and he does the trent lot thing and it's all the juxtaposition of the of the two things are like this guy has no humanity within him yeah there's a reason that that Kanye West said he doesn't care about black. We're gonna play that. We're gonna get to that, great, but yeah. but it's all it's all like whatever they're whatever he's doing here. It's so fucking grotesque because his callousness was so disturbing on a level that I don't think I ever felt from Trump. No, yeah, it was. I mean, I think the thing is is, is the the Christianity is what enables people to not see it for what it is because caring is a thing that happens in your heart and it's a thing between you and God whereas like to any person who is not high on that supply caring is a thing that happens by taking action you know yeah uh-huh but he he addresses this in a really interesting and inadvertent way next because he talks about that photo of him looking out the airplane and apparently uh, and think about here are the facts before you listen to his version. Mm. Uh, Karl Rove uh, thought it was going to be a good idea to have Air Force One fly over uh, the devastation in New Orleans and take a picture of Bush looking out the window with concern. Uh, there were other people on the staff who disagreed. They felt it would make him look detached, that he should probably be <laughs> on the ground. You know, for a guy who's talking about the importance of appearances, eh, Bush went with Rove's idea. I will say this. If Bush was someone who was capable of emanating that kind of concern in a still photo, that that might not have been such a terrible idea. But he just he, he doesn't. He looks like what he is, just yeah, dopey frat boy. That's right. fuck. But he, he addresses this. Note he never mentions Carl uh, Rove by name. I made a mistake in creating a perception that uh, was untrue. And that is, I was on Air Force One flying back to D.C. And I was looking out the window, and the devastation was unbelievable. And I was confronted with a decision to have landed and shown concern. Nobody really wanted me to land uh, near New Orleans because it would have sent the message that I was more important than the rescue missions. They would have assigned police and firefighters to my security. That's just the way the system works. And I didn't want to pull assets away from people doing their job. 
in retrospect, I guess I could have landed in Baton Rouge, which was away from the major flood, and gone to a shelter where people had fled the problem and said, look, we're going to deal with it and we'll help you. But instead, I chose not to. Somebody decided they're going to put a photographer in there. And they took a picture of me staring out the window, looking down at floodwaters safely above the mess. I said, George W. didn't care about us. And, uh, you know, whether I did or not didn't matter because the perception was I didn't. Whether I did or not didn't matter because the perception was that I didn't. And then he's done. <laughs> hey, they accuse me of being a Nazi. And whether or not I am, the perception was that I was. So let's move on to the next thing. Is there something missing from this sentence? <laughs> Kate, you're very obsessed with how you appear to people. Um, if, if it was perceived that you didn't give a shit about human beings... I would I would mention that I that I do yeah I would mention that how how I was feeling and include some stuff about how uh, I cared a lot you know by the way I do yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I just feel like most but, human beings would have taken the opportunity to answer that question you know we're in this whole thing we're whitewashing our appearance we're trying to make ourselves look you, you might just go oh yeah by the way I'm looking at this photo of him right now and man it's just it's bad. Yeah, it's, it's bad. just like, oh, what's happening to the serfs? Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it, but it's it's his. That's his almost best quality f as far as being able to uh, withstand all of the shit that he took. Is he didn't care. He is the frat boy who at the party gives shit to everybody and does not fucking care what anybody thinks about him. That's his, like, yeah. that's a, a, a deeply rooted part of him. He, he didn't care. He never fucking cared what people thought yeah. he at all. Yeah. And again, I would say, I would argue that uh, Trump gets that point because Trump would at least tell you to your face he doesn't give a fuck about you. Yeah, he would, he would <laughs> and that's laugh. what people found upsetting. People didn't find it more upsetting that Trump didn't care either. They found it upsetting that he made it clear he didn't care. Yeah. I'm like, at least you know where you stand with that guy. If you get anyway. Um, uh, you know, we're in danger of doing the opposite thing. I'm not going to let Bush turn me into a Trump fan, but. Um, but he did. He was referring specifically to that incident with Kanye. And I was just going to play the one clip of him at the end. But actually, this whole thing that Kanye said, people are going to forget the, the context of it all. It's pretty amazing, especially in light of who and what he has become in the past several years. Yeah. You almost forget that there was a, a functioning brain and a conscience uh, in, in this gentleman. Um, this is uh, Mike Myers. I wish you played video because at the end, uh, people forget. But Mike Myers' look when Kanye drops his final bomb on this is so special. And then they cut away to Chris Tucker looking just as gobsmacked. Um, <laughs> it's really great. But the lead into it's pretty impressive, too, and, and worth listening to. With the breach of three levees protecting New Orleans, the landscape of the city has changed dramatically, tragically, and perhaps irreversibly. There's now over 25 feet of water where there was once city streets and thriving neighborhoods. I hate the way they betray us in the media. If you see a black family, it says they're looting see a white family that says they're looking for food and you know it's been five days because most of the people are black 
And even for me to complain about, I would be a hypocrite because I've tried to turn away from the teacher TV because it's too hard to watch. I've even been shopping before even giving a donation. So now I'm calling my business manager right now to see what's, what is the biggest amount I can give. And, and just to imagine if I was... If I was down there, and those are, those are my people down there, so anybody out there that wants to do anything that we can help with, with the setup, the way America is set up to help the, uh, uh, the poor, the, the black people, the, uh, the less well-off as slow as possible. I mean, this is, Red Cross is doing everything they can. We, we already realize a lot of the people that could help are at war right now, fighting another way, and they, they, they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating, is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Oh. <laughs> it's so amazing, because I watched that live, yeah. and I, I, you don't remember that speech beforehand. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing, and because he's clearly he's so moved, he's already gone off script radically. And Mike Myers is yeah. like uh, trying to find out where he's supposed to come in, but that last yeah. line, it's like that is yeah, that that was amazing. And uh, he's right, he's completely right. every every Everything fucking word that, he said was correct. And, and it took me back so much the first time I heard that because that that was the thing. You know, you would see those photos, and it really was. It was very simple. Here, here come the looters, and oh look at this family. They're they're desperate for food, and. They always fell into those two groups, you know, it's white. Mm. They're desperate looking for food and horrifying. Um, uh, one more crisis. You guys remember this one? You remember the financial crisis? I do. Mm. Oh, God. That was when no. I graduated. I so I definitely remember it. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> do you really? That's so funny. You know, wow. when I graduated was the savings and loan crisis. Oh, wow. So I couldn't get a job. Yeah. Jeez. Good stuff. Capitalism. Yeah. Like, uh I gotta say, and and we've we've had him on our old show when we didn't uh, weren't involved in a shady financial relationship with him, and I've said this on the old show. I think Davis as well, so I feel you can go back and find that. But if you want the best breakdown of all on the economic, the financial crash, uh, check out David Sorota's podcast Meltdown. It's genuinely mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, it's it's just incredible piece of work, just incredibly detailed. Um, so Bush introduces this thing. Pay attention to the clip that he plays when he tells us about the financial crisis. The financial crisis was something I didn't want to end my presidency on. Man, I had this vision of me getting on a horse and riding off into the sunset and saying, eight years has been great, thank you. But instead, before the end of my presidency, we began to get rumblings that the mortgage market was soft. As far back as 2005, emerging signs of a mortgage meltdown were leading some in the industry to lose sleep. In April, we had 400,000 families facing foreclosure. That's 400,000 in one month, when on average, we would only get 250,000 a year. So hold on to that thought for a minute. Remember, 2005, and Bush is... They're choosing to include this clip, which they say five emerging signs in 2005 of, of the crisis. Okay, now listen to this. During this period of time, I was constantly briefed by economists that we were on the verge of a major disaster because money was essentially frozen. And there was a lot of evidence that payrolls were not being met, small business couldn't get credit. In other words, 
the whole operating system of the American economy was shutting down. Banks were beginning to fail. Big institutions were over leveraged. A house of cards had been built based upon mortgages. And the minute home prices began to decline, the house of cards started falling on a weekly basis. The first real indication was probably in the spring of 08 when Bear Stearns collapsed. Wait, did you catch that? <laughs> well, we, we did a time jump. The first real indication. So in 2005, families losing homes, economy collapsing, people living in the street. That's, that's, I don't know, that's not an indication there's a problem. But Bear Stearns. Oh, God. <laughs> and the thing is, is there were Bears. like multiple editors for this, and there was a chance to proofread that and be like, I think you should say something different. And nobody caught it. No one involved with this caught that. I also think it's honest. Yeah. I think it's honest. He's like, oh, well, hey, it sucks to be damn hurt. Whoa, what? Bear Stearns? Holy shit. Fuck me. Just, I mean, it's astonishing. It's just astonishing. And at no point does he indicate that, you know, any responsibility for any of this no. or any, you know, or where responsibility for it lies. No uh, accountability, sort of if you will. It's a thing that, yeah. by the way, yeah. And, you know, he could just easily provide accountability for some of the other people responsible and not take it himself. Doesn't even go there. Yeah. Because he's still beholden to these people. Um, Yeah. I mean, again, this one's so rich and deep, you could spend all day on it. But I just wanted to grab a few great moments. Think about. We talked earlier about Bush's business history, especially his uh, oil company dealings. Think about that. Have that in your mind when you uh, listen to him talk about the free market here. I told people I believe the marketplace ought to pick winners and losers. And here was the first indication that the experts might advise me to take a different course. Yes, I, I believe the market should pick winners and losers, except when it's my company. Jesus. I mean, it's very In cliche, fact, but socialism for the rich, capitalism exactly. for the poor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, which is just capitalism. Yes. And, and by the way, the, the argument can be made that the mentality that led to, uh, you know, that that was described in his oil company experience and the actions thereof. Uh, of the various people there are uh, played a huge part in what happened in 2008. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, I love this part too. Uh, he talks about Hank Paulson telling him like, you know, they, they keep bailing these people out more money, more money, more money. It's not working out. Uh, Hank, Hank Paulson tells him what we've got to do. Over the next few weeks, conditions worsen significantly. He said, we've got one option, one alternative which was in essence to take taxpayers' money through TARP and as opposed to trying to buy troubled assets, giving the money directly to the big banks in the United States. It took about a nanosecond to realize uh, what a political disaster this would be. I mean, I'm thinking about my buddies out in Texas, sitting around the coffee shop saying, can you imagine what Bush just did? He took my money, I've been paying my mortgages and my taxes, and gave it to the people that created the instruments, which no one could understand, that created the meltdown. He lost his mind. And, uh, and yet Paulson's adamant that this is the only way to solve the problem. I said, okay, you handle the policy, and I'll handle the politics. Here we go. Let's go. Let's go, Paul. Was, that was definitely one of those you're so close moments. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's another way to do yeah. it. There's this other way to do <laughs> it. Yeah. You can get the money to the people. If you give the money to the people, there isn't a political problem. You're so close. Yeah. <laughs> can I? Can I? I don't want to focus on trivialities here, but. Who are these friends of his who are sitting around in a coffee shop? In I Texas? know. Oh, right? God it's damn like, it, man. It's uh, Jacob Wool's hipster coffee shop. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're all getting hammered by those mortgages and the taxes on them. And that money's got these rich sons of bitches. George, buddy, what are you thinking, pal? Uh, as they sit there, macchiatos. And what the fuck? It's. Oh. God damn it. Who are these people? Who are those friends? I want him to name those friends. They're his buddies, Frank, Jimmy. Yeah. He said that with a straight face. My buddies yeah. are back in Texas in a coffee shop. First of all, let's talk about the fact that George Bush is not really from Texas. Because right. you, you want to give that away real quick. Start talking about people Connecticut. in a coffee shop. Yeah, that's just Connecticut coming through. Yeah, but they, these are the lies he not who he's trying has to been be. telling. It's who he's been, uh, the persona he's been putting out for years. So it's just easy. Right. It flows out of him. Yeah. Right. The coffee shop in Texas saying, is just a gun store where they have a Folgers. I was going to say, if he were a real Texan, he wouldn't be talking about a fucking coffee shop. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was his Connecticut coming through. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, this really is the one I wish you could just share the entirety of the uh, video and audio with the world because it's it's just astonishing um i mean i want to get to he he does wrap it up with some lessons he's learned along the way but i wanted like did you guys have anything else you wanted to hit with this stuff because it, it's just there's so much here i mean other than the fact that jet fuel can't melt steel beams no <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <I'm... laughs> uh, how'd you get on this show yeah um, uh, your study buddy has been studying up. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you know what drives me nuts about that whole thing? It, it makes me crazy, and it, it's a it's it's the problem with so much of this stuff. Is you don't need to go that far. You don't need to to go into this insane world where you know the president of the United States is is plotting the destruction of the right. World no. Trade Center. They knew it was coming and they did nothing. Yeah. That's right. more than enough. That's Not, more it, than that, enough. You know, besides, besides the memo that, and I have never been able to locate this, but I was watching, it was like Dateline or 2020, about eight months before 9-11. Mm -hmm. And the reporter was in one of those classic Toyota trucks with a Taliban guy. And they're driving around Afghanistan. And the Taliban guy says, oh, we could take out your Pentagon tomorrow. And the reporter just kind of laughs and he goes, really? And he goes, yeah, we know how to do it. Mm. So there's no way that American intelligence didn't know what the Taliban was talking about. It's on the fucking TV. And then they get a memo saying they're going to hijack planes. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. That you need to go to a conspiracy theory about all this shit when it's just pure, beautiful American incompetence yeah. and laziness. Yeah, I mean, the financial crisis, too. Like, people have all these, you know, conspiracy theories about, like, the Illuminati and, all you know, all sorts of different flavors of anti-Semitic versions of it. But if you, you want to just say, like, hey, there's, like, a very small group of rich people calling the shots, that's literally just capitalism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But all this stuff serves to uh, mitigate these things. 
if you're George W. Bush, if you're the people responsible for basically ignoring the warnings, you are the primary beneficiary of the people who are claiming that you planned the destruction of the World Trade Center. Yeah. Because it, 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 whoever believed that's a person who would have been prone to understand your responsibility for it, who is now buying into a barking mad conspiracy yeah. theory. Yeah, who just sounds them. insane then, yeah. Yeah, instead they could have been on the side of the folks who are like, hey, you should be held accountable, but instead they're off going, no, 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 it's, it's you know. It, 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 all they, they always do this, like fucking Pizzagate. It's like, oh my God, the U.S. government is run by pederast. And hey, guys, you got Jeffrey Epstein over yes. here with all these people like one of those fucking <laughs> yeah. islands. You don't need this convoluted <laughs> thing about pepperoni means nine-year-old boy. Yeah. You don't fucking need it. <clears throat> but it distracts people who could be relied upon to stand with you in the truth by giving them crazy shit to believe because it's easier to believe crazy shit too. Yeah. Yeah, something. for some reason it is. Yeah, you know, I Russia, Russia, it's Russia's fault that uh, Hillary Clinton uh, lost to Donald. As though this one makes me insane. As though Vladimir Putin could concoct this incredible scheme to actually win a U.S. presidential election and install a puppet of his own making. And he decides to go with the dumbest, most unreliable moron who ever <laughs> held the office who if that happened the first thing he would do is accidentally tell everyone that putin put him here I mean, just, it, like from day one i was like this makes no sense to me and it kept going on and on and you spend years getting like you know derided and being called a russian asset and now it's like uh yeah it's actually kind of taken for granted by the media oh yeah we were wrong washington post has labeled russia gate a uh, conspiracy theory now there's no you know i mean it's just, yeah all this stuff is crazy. And what it does is it distracts people from the real issues because I don't know if people know this. Donald Trump committed extraordinary crimes in broad daylight that you could have been focusing on. Sorry. Do you know what? Um, do you know what Bush did not bring up as far as crisis? What? No. Enron. Oh, yeah. The reason he did not bring up Enron is because that was 100% his doing. Yeah. His doing and his buddies. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a big one to leave yeah. out. Yeah. But it also sort of segues into a little bit of the meltdown in a way that you can cover this and cause they, you're right. It didn't occur to me, but I sort of like think of them as all being under that same umbrella. Yeah. And, and, uh, they're not really, um, no, they're not. I mean, you know, th same that's mentality. one of the things that's one of the things that people go back to and they're like, well, Trump's not following the rules and stuff. Well, Bush that's when they, they hid the logs of people who were coming into the White House to meet. It was like Ken Lay. It was like they were meeting with Enron, helping them, you know, just destroy California and do this other stuff. Right. Like, you know. That's right. That was Cheney's yeah. thing, right, where they, they shut down the logs. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Which, by the way, uh, the next two presidents uh, kept going with that. Good, good, good. That's, That's the other thing is these guys put in all these horrible things. Uh, liberals scream and shout about how terrible it is, and then a Democrat gets in and does the same thing, and they're all like, "Hey, he's gone." Yeah, Biden's Biden not only is finishing the wall, but he has gotten Mexico to help pay for it. Um, he's not finishing the wall; he's finishing parts of it. <laughs> okay, that was one of my favorite things. Though, by the way, it was one of those guys. Was it the uh, the um, uh, oh god, what's his name? There are those 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 dudes on Twitter. Uh, Ragnarok Lobster oh, was it him or was it that angry Brooklyn oh. dad or Brooklyn, Brooklyn dad, dad defiant, defiant or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Who who tweeted out when that happened that like um uh because yeah uh, Biden had gotten Mexico to pay for some portion of finishing part of Trump's wall yeah. 
And he held that up as a triumph. <laughs> this is why Biden's better than Trump. Trump couldn't get Mexico to finish begging for the wall. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was the problem with the wall. Was it? It was wrong with the yeah. wall. Yeah, we were all <laughs> You couldn't get Mexico Funding. to pay. Now Biden did. That's why Biden's great. Yay. <laughs> so there are lessons uh, to be learned from these crises because really it's all about that. It's all about what can you as a leader learn from uh, crises. Any managerial position has got to be prepared for the unexpected. And uh, it's really important to think about that. You don't dwell on it, but you think about contingency plans. That's what a good leader does. One of the key things for a leader to do is to learn a lesson if the unexpected happens and share the lessons with others and ask them what lessons they learned. On 9-11, believe it or not, the communications were terrible. Phone lines kept dropping. There was no direct TV, so what we saw on our TVs was like intermittent disaster film. The minute we got back to Washington, Danny Carr, the chief of staff, put out their directive, fix it. Let's put the best communications there are on Air Force One. And uh, there was a lot of lessons learned on that day. How did people get on U.S. airplanes? How did they were able to make phone calls without being detected back to headquarters of an enemy? And we we analyzed every single problem that needed to be analyzed and dealt with it. I love the like terrorist, the worst terrorist attack in American history. Uh, the lesson learned is we need better telephones and cable TV on Air Force. I just, I mean, like in the process of discussing all of these like terrible historical events, I just totally forgot that the point of all this was like. Co corporate leadership and that 9-11 was going to turn into some corny ass boomer dad like lessons learned <laughs> yeah 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 i'm still trying to figure these, you know as we struggle here to these you know, are our goals and business. objectives our key performance indicators yeah Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Learn learn lessons from what, these crises. What motivates you as an entrepreneur? Oh, you know, 9-11. <laughs> But do you guys remember the the tragedy of um, DirecTV being down? Do you guys not remember I that? A, was DirecTV down? I just it, I forgot it's just that. such a crazy thing to bring yeah. up. Like direct the DirecTV wasn't working. You're just like what the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he couldn't watch his cartoons. Uh. I really, it's like, it's astonishing. And it's all presented so, it's all just so slick and he's so friendly. And it's like, oh, hey, masterclass, same place I can go to, you know, learn uh, learn how to like cook a nice pizza from, you know, some some dude. Or, it's like, and here's George B. Bush and he's just whitewashing all this just absolute villainy and barbaric, it's, barbaric behavior. It's spectacular propaganda. Yeah. It's well, really, really it, I mean, good. Again, we go back to like, who's seeing this? What's the impact it's actually having? Well, I think it is. I think it will. I think if you're a person who now likes George Bush because of Trump, mm -hmm. I think this just cements your belief that, yeah, you're right. This guy is actually a good one compared to... The, the the ability of people who who do that sort of thing to erase recent history is incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like their superpower. And so this just fits right in there. And there's a ton of people. Look, there's a, lot, there's a ton of people who are easy 
to just waver to the other side, you know, we just had another election against the fascists, against the leftists, and the fascists got a lot more votes. And the reason is because in polling, the liberals don't say, I'm going to vote for the fascist over the leftist. It's the liberals that are doing this. So this is the same sort of person that is easily swayed and just goes, yeah, this all makes yeah. sense. That's a good point. And I'm not saying it's all liberals. The problem with the, the, the liberal sphere is it's this massive block of people. And there's some that are over on the left of it. And there's some that are over on the right of it. And those right ones, whew, off they go. Yeah. The, the yeah, K-Hive, if you will. The K-Hive is, uh, someone brought this, someone, someone pointed this out the other day. It is a, it is a, a, a cover for white supremacy. That's what, that's what Oh, yeah, is. Definitely. Wait, sorry. Lay lay that out. I mean, I'm I'm as you it's, know, they're not using, a fan. They're, <laughs> they're using a black they're using a black politician, oh, sure. a woman, to attack um, a leftist and and essentially um, other black people, and it's all in in the guise of of helping right. white supremacy. And it's and, mostly and, white women. The system that, that is. are in it too. I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna get. Yeah, very angry. I'm right. gonna get it's canceled. A, it's a, it should be called. I've looked into this. It should be called Karen. Yeah. It should be called Karen. That's what the K stands for. Yeah. Well, they, we mm. we had we had a great imbroglio with them uh, on our last show, and um, uh, afterwards uh, there was a nice article I believe Politico about how the K hive had basically died. So that was nice. Yeah, but, I think that uh, there were but, true believers. But I think that, you know, as a Kamala star kind of fell, there are less and less true believers and more just like c consultants, weird people. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, well, wow. I don't know how we're going to top these two episodes. We've got a few more to go. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe we made it this far. Uh, what do we have? We have um, uh, he's going to talk about communication. And uh, uh, entering public service. It's going to be fun. George <laughs> uh, He's, he's going to go out by talking about his paintings, too. That'll be nice. Aw. Love nice. art. Yeah. 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 But uh, I, this was, this was, um, this, this one was draining. This one actually, it, it, it sort of re traumatized me going back and re looking at this because you, you almost forget like what just a barrage of, of awful uh, murderousness uh, the Bush years were. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. 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 And and we were all primed to vote for something that was different, you know? Yeah. Ah, we'll uh we'll be back next week with uh two more episodes of our master class. If we haven't committed suicide by then. <laughs> you guys doing yeah. okay? All right, you gonna make yes, it? Yes, I'll okay. make it. I'll be back. We'll uh we'll see you all next week. You see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs They take your homework just to tear it in half If you want blood, you got it You trap a keeper, I'll on it Give me a crap, I'll blot it This ain't the tension, baby, this is the
want to thank our incredible support team, uh, Brian Ciano, our free floating agent of chaos, AKA research guy. And also Colin McCoy, who does all of our music. You can also find him. He out there in music world. He is known as diesel boots.